Matthew chapter 5, just beginning to read at verse 1. Let's just pray together. Father, we just again ask, Lord, for your help and for your anointing upon your word. Lord, we pray, give us ears that hear and hearts that are open, eyes that can see. Lord, undertake tonight, we pray, Lord. May your anointing, Lord, come. Lord, may you break the bread of life to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you, and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Just read that we verse together, if we could, verse 8. Uh, just let's read it together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want to see the Lord, don't we? We want to see him. We do want to have, as it were, uh, spiritual cataracts. That we begin to lose what this is all about. It's all about him. And we want to see him, don't we? We want to see him clearly. The Christian faith really is all to do with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but it's a heart relationship, not a head one. It's all about the heart, and when we talk about the heart, um, it's not the physical organ, it's the place of the affections and the desires. It's the place of the will and thought. It's right into the innermost part of our being. It is the seat of affections, desires, and the will and our thought. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 26, the Bible says there, My son, give me thine heart. And this is this really, when we're surrendered to the Lord, when we give him our hearts, that's when there's victory. When there's full surrender, there's full victory. And the Lord knows that to have our desires, to have our affections, to have our wills, to have our thoughts means that we are in a place of peace and a place of great victory. The struggles are over, the battles are over in many respects, but we have that peace of God. And in that little proverb, it ties the heart and vision. And the Bible tells us without a vision, what happens? We perish. Sight is crucial. Spiritual sight is absolutely critical for the believer. It says, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. We see the heart and spiritual vision are connected, not only in our verse tonight, the pure in heart they see, but my son, give me thy heart and thine eyes will observe uh, my ways. 
In this particular beatitude, this verse 8, we understand that the Lord tells us that purity, purity brings vision. Purity brings vision. And you're blessed if you can see, isn't that right? Paul lost his glasses last night and didn't see for a while, but praise the Lord, he has aids tonight to see. But, you know, we need the Holy Spirit to give us sight. And it's wonderful to be born of born of the Spirit of God because we're given sight. But we have a responsibility to keep our hearts, to keep our hearts. The heart is the seat of affections and desires. In Colossians, if you turn over chapter 3 and verse 1, we're told here about the very innermost part of man and woman, the very deepest parts of our being and where we are to set those things. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, praise God, if you're alive in Christ tonight, if you're born of the Spirit, then it tells us that we're to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And then we're instructed that we're to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And so we are instructed here that the very innermost part of our being, the affections, are to be set not on the earthly things, but on that which is above that which is Christ. And we see in Scripture the devastating consequences of a people who set their hearts on the earthly. And if you turn over, I know the, the reading's well known, but in Revelation chapter 3, the seven churches, Asia Minor, again the last church, uh, the Laodicean church, we see here the consequences of a church that set its affections not on that which is the heavenly or the eternal, but on that which is the earthly. And what happens? So Revelation 3.14, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, and then we see the affections that are set on that which is the temporal or the earthly. I am rich. I am increased with goods. I have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind. And so we see when the heart is set on the temporal, there is a consequence because there's a blindness comes and a nakedness goes on to say, the Lord speak, and I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And then it says, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou might see. Friends, these are very important verses. I believe they do relate to the day in which we're living, and the application here in Revelation chapter 3 is very profound because it relates to the hour in which we have come, a lukewarmness or an indifference that comes in amongst the church and God's people because their affections, their desires 
aren't focused on that which is above. They become focused on everything that's around us. And blindness comes. Without a vision, what happens to people? Perish. And that's what's happening today. That's what's happening. The discouragement and people not knowing where to turn, even amongst the church today, because there's been a focus on materialism. There's been a focus on the earthy. Friends, if we keep our affection set upon the Lord, we'll keep a clear vision. And we're going to look on to him who's the author and the finisher of our faith. So we understand that the heart is crucial for vision. Has God got your heart? When he says, my son, give me your heart. Has God got your heart? Has he got everything? Has he got your affections? Got your will? your ambitions, your hopes, your plans. Has God got your heart? Because if God has won your heart, God has won you. And so the key in all of this is the heart. Now what does the Bible say about the heart? Jeremiah chapter 17, if you turn over. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. Jeremiah 17 and 9. This is what the Bible says about the heart. And then we're going to go over into 1 John chapter 3. Just dealing with the heart for a few moments. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Bible says that the heart, that's your heart and my heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, what does he do? He searches the heart. He deals with us on the basis of our heart. I search the heart. If there was ever a day we need the spotlight and the searching work of the Holy Spirit, the purifying work of the Holy Spirit, it's today. I, the Lord, I search the heart. I try the reins. I deal with us, deal with our, my people on the basis of the innermost part of their being, their heart, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The heart, the Bible tells us, is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? But the Lord knows it. The Lord knows it. I search and I try. I try the reins of the heart, the desires, the affections, the will, the thought, the willpower, the ambitions, everything of that heart. The Lord searches the heart, a deep work of God, God dealing with the heart of man. It's an awesome thought. And so we see that and when we begin to pull open, as it were, the doors of our heart and we let the searchlight of God to shine into the very innermost being to try every aspect of our heart, we know often that we'll come to a place where we can say, although we fall short, but there's great hope. Because in 1 John chapter 3, it says these words, verse 20, 1 John 3 and verse 20. 
For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence. We have a confidence towards God. Thank God he's greater than it all. There's hope in all of this. That as God begins to deal with us, is not to cast us off, but is to bring us near by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as he deals with us as his children. That's important. As he deals with us as his children. So in the dealings of God in our lives, we understand God's dealing with the heart as children, as his children is the work that we would understand to be the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. God dealing with us on the basis of his children, dealing with our hearts, dealing with our lives, as opposed to the just that God has justified us. And so we know that in, in Scripture, the Bible tells us in Romans 5 and 1 that we're justified by faith, with peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. We understand that that work of the cross, the power of the new birth, is solely a work of Jesus. It's faith and trust in him alone. And he has justified us. There's nothing more that we can do because Jesus paid it all. It's not our work, it's his work. We're saved by him and him alone. And all our trust is in him. And we are saved by the grace of God. But then there's this wonderful work of grace that he does in our life. Right to the point that He'll either rapture us or he'll call us home. There's a work of grace that God does in, his, in our lives and it's called the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It's a process. It's a process that God deals with us. Hopefully we can all say that we're not the same people we were. If we're saved more than five years, we're not the same people as we were five years ago. If you're saved a year, you're not the same as what you were six months ago. There should be a process in our lives that we are being changed by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We work in partnership with him as we yield ourselves to him. We're not the people that we used to be. God willing that we're being more. We're, being, we're more like Jesus. It's not our desire that we want to be like him. So the Bible tells us that that sanctifying work in John chapter, if you just follow these few verses in John 17 and verse 16, the Lord it tells us here that uh, concerning us, they are not of this world, John 17 and 16. They are not of this world, even as I am not of, of the world. We are not of this world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. And then the Lord says, sanctify them through thy truth, and thy word is truth. What sanctifies us is God's word by the Holy Spirit, the word of God as we in our own personal time, in our own personal walk, as we apply ourselves to the Word of God, we are being changed by the Word, and it's the Word of God that, that sets us free. It's the truth that makes us free. So God is dealing with us, and He's working with us through, through the power of His Word. As we study the Word, as we spend time in the Word, God is doing a work in our lives and sanctifying us as we put off the flesh and we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... God does that work in 2 Corinthians, if you turn over 3 and verse 18, again we look at, we, we are being changed by God. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 it says, But we all, that's everyone who's saved, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, 
we are changed. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Are you being changed? Is that your desire that you're being changed? That, that, that should be the desire of a believer. That's the desire that he puts in us when we're saved. That we don't want to be, it's not a case of a list of rules. It's a case of that we want to be like him. We want to look, we want to walk like him. We want to talk like him. We want to think like him. And so we see here we are being changed into the same image. That is, we're being changed into Jesus Christ. And we're becoming more like him. And so there's, there's a work being done. Is God doing a work in your life? I hope he is because he needs to do a work on us all. And so there's a changing by the Spirit of the Lord. In Ephesians 1 and 4, it tells us there, just again looking at this process of God dealing with us, Ephesians 1 and 4 tells us that he has chosen us in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world. What? That we should be holy, without blame, before him in love. This is the word of the Lord. This is the desire of God for our lives. That we should be holy. God is doing a work with us. He wants us to live a holy life. And 1 John 3 and 2 it tells us. 1 John 3 and 2. And we love these verses. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know this. When he shall appear, when Christ comes, we shall be like him. Just in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when this corruption will put on incorruption, this mortal will put on immortality, we shall be like him and we'll see him as he is. The work is complete. So God's dealing with us and he deals with us on the basis of our hearts. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit making us more like Jesus. God's dealings are crucial. Why are they crucial? When God deals with us, it's a wonderful sign. It may be not always nice, right? It's not always nice. But when God deals with us, it's a very sure indication of what? It's an indication that we're sons. It's an indication of our sonship. And that's a wonderful thing. That's generic in the sense of men and women. We are the sons of God. So God deals with us as we are sons. Hebrews 12 and verse 5. If you just look over to this. So if, if God's dealing with you at the moment. And there's a severe dealing of the Lord. Praise God because he's dealing with you. Because you're the son of God. You're one of his sons. Hebrews 12 and 5 says. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chastises, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as a son. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Thank God tonight that we're sons. We're sons. Why? He's dealing with us. 
Do you want God to deal with you? Do you want God to do a work in your life? Do you want God to deal with your heart? Do you want God to deal with the innermost parts of our thoughts, our affections, our wills, our ambitions, to make us more like him, to conform us in to the image of Jesus Christ? That's a sign that we're sons. That's a sign that we're the sons of God. So the question tonight is, what is the pure in heart? What is it to be pure? What is it to be pure in heart? What are the indications of a heart that is pure? Well, I, I, there are some scriptures that we'll look at, a few things. I believe if someone who's pure in heart, their focus is right. Their focus is right. They have a right focus. You know, uh, when you go to get your eyes tested and and then you they, they keep on better or worse, better or worse, and, and then you forget which one's better and which one's worse, and you don't know what to say. But they're wanting to get they're wanting to get the focus right so that you can see clearly. When the heart is pure, you see things from the perspective from a pure heart. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 15, this is what it says. This is a pure heart. Titus 1 and 15 says, Unto the pure, unto the pure, all things are pure. See a pure heart? But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but their mind and their conscience is defiled. The pure in heart, hearts that are pure, hearts that are cleansed, hearts that are pure before the Lord, they look for the good in things. That's their, they, they come in and they look for the good. They look for the good in people. They look for the good in a work. They look for good in the fellowship. They don't look for the negative or dwell on the faults. You see things tainted or with suspicion or with question or with the view of judging rather than covering. 1 Peter 4 and 8 says, Above all things, have a fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover, what does it cover? A multitude of faults. In other words, if you sat here tonight, I don't know we aren't, but if you sat here tonight and you said, well, I'm going to take a list of all the faults that I see and everybody that's around me, you're going to find a lot of faults, aren't you? But you see, that's not a pure heart. The pure in heart will see the work of God in people. will look to the good to see what God is doing will have a right focus in all of those things. And the love that's in them, the fervent love that's in them, will always want to cover the faults, not expose them. And so here's a, here's a man or a woman with a pure heart. These are the people that see God. Their focus is right. Number two, they talk right. What does the Bible say in Matthew 12 and 34? Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? It comes out. What you say is what's in there. It's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth's going to speak. And so in that heart, we have a right conversation. James talks about this. 
really what true religion is. If you turn over in the James chapter 1, verse 26, and really, I suppose one brother put it sometimes, these are the nuts and bolts of being a Christian. These are the, this is the reality of everyday life and walk and a fellowship and going on with the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If any, if any among you seem to be religious but and bridleth not his tongue, then he deceives his own heart. If he can't control his tongue, and the tongue is a serious, deadly weapon in bringing division and destroying the work of the Lord, the tongue is. Don't we know it? We're so easy to say something out of place. We're so easy to put our feet in it. We're so easy to say something that can bring so much hurt and damage and division to God's people and to God's work. Listen, if this is true religion and we can't control our tongue, then our whole religion, the Bible says, it's vain. In other words, it's empty. And so we want to have a guard. Pure religion, pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless widows in their afflictions, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. It's the wee member, isn't it, that causes the damage. You know, it's not big devils. It's wee foxes that can destroy the work of the Lord. It's wee foxes that destroys the work. It's not big devils, friends. The devil's been defeated. The devil's destroyed at Calvary. Thank God that Christ is victor. But what destroys the work of the Lord? The wee member. And so a pure heart, their focus is right and their conversation is right. Number three, also, a pure heart, a pure heart loves right. They love the right way. And 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 talks about this love. And it's God's love, remember we looked a number of weeks ago at the two types of love, the human love that really will depend on the circumstances, depend on whether you've been nice to them or not, depend on whether you're, you know, everything's rosy and the sun's shining. If it's not, then the love changes. We're not in the mood to love today. But God's love's not like that, thank God. But here's a love, 1 Peter 1, 22. See you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren and see that you love one another with a pure heart. And then it says, and do it fervently. A passionate love for the brethren, for God's people. A passionate love. Is that the love that we have? Is that the love that's shed abroad in our hearts? Is that the baptism of love, of Christ's love, that we need in the church today? Surely it is. God that baptizes afresh with the love of Christ, the love of Calvary, the flow amongst the brethren, because when they see that love that we have one for another, then they know that we are the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by what we say or how we look, but because they see the love of God. That's what attracts them. We need this agape love. The pure in heart, their focus is right. They talk right. They love right. You know, I heard one time in a conversation, there was two, two brothers and had a difference. And one of the brothers said to the other brother, 
when they're about to meet up to try and get it sorted out. And he says, we're going to meet up, but I want to tell you something. See, when we, when we meet up, this is going to hurt you. I didn't even come across boys like that in the world. If that's the purpose of coming together, even in differences, my purpose is in this, that I'm going to hurt you. My God. God, give us your heart. Give us your love. Give us your passion. Give us your heart. Give us a pure heart. A pure heart has the right motive. Jesus is standing with his disciples in John 13, verse 11, just this one wee verse. His disciples are standing around him and the Lord's standing with them. And Jesus said these words, Ye are not all clean. Imagine just, ye are not all clean. And all the disciples are standing looking at the Lord. And the Lord knew everything, knew their hearts, knew their motives, knew their agendas, knew that one would fail him, desert him, everything. But as he looked at them all, he says, you're not all clean. Why did he say that? Because he knew that there was one that had an agenda. His name is Judas. One of you will betray me. You see, this now goes right to the very depths of motive. Not just what we say or not just what we do, but why we say it and why we do it. It goes right down to the very depths of the individual, right into the very depths of a heart. I, the Lord, search the heart. You're not all clean. Why? Because their motive was wrong. Lord, give us a clean heart and a pure heart and give us the right motive. Why do we do what we do? Why do we say what we do? What say? What is our focus? What is our conversation? What is our agenda? Our agenda is Christ and Him glorified. And so the motive is right. Lastly, it says, the pure in heart, they see God. They see God. Think about it. They see God. Do we want to have a vision of him? Do we want to see him clearly for who he is? Do we want to live a life that our focus is on him seated at the right hand of the Father, high and lifted up in all his glory and all his majesty? The pure in heart, they see God. In Psalm chapter 24, those famous verses, Psalm 24, if you turn over just to these couple of verses, we see the purity and vision are completely connected again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they see God. And Psalm 24, verse 3 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, into the very presence of God? Who will go into that place? Who shall stand in the holy place? He that has clean hands. What does it say? And a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul in the vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. This is what it says about the pure heart. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. We want the blessing, don't we? And righteousness from the God of his salvation. He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Purity brings vision. Helps us see. Helps us have a clear vision of him. It brings the blessing to a life. Purity 
of heart. It was the man that said, Sir, that we would see Jesus. We want to see him, don't we? The Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they see God. Just as we close for a short time of prayer, do you know what's wonderful? That the blood of Jesus Christ has lost none of his ancient power. It still cleanses. See, brothers and sisters, it's not to condemn us, it's to make us like him. And so in all of that, in the dealings of God in our heart, and the dealings of God in our lives, thank God tonight that he can cleanse our hearts afresh, that he can purify us by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, that we can open our hearts and say, God, have your way. And he would deal with us on the basis, not of illeg- not illegitimate children, but as his sons tonight. And we can come boldly and say, cleanse us, purify us, wash us. Why? Because we want to see you, Lord. We want to see you. Let the Lord have his way. Let him work in us. Let him deal with us. Let him cleanse us. Let him wash us afresh. Let's trust the blood of Jesus Christ and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to make us a people that we want to be like Jesus. Do you want to be like the Lord? Do we need him tonight? Let's ask him to come and do a work in our lives. Father, this night we give you thanks for the Holy Spirit, for your word, and for the power that's in your blood tonight to cleanse us and to wash us, to purify our hearts, to cleanse us afresh tonight. We thank you, Lord. Lord, there's a work that can be done in our hearts tonight, a fresh work to cleanse your people afresh. Lord, give us hearts that are pure. Our intentions, our conversation, our focus, our love. Oh, God, tonight, give us pure hearts. Deal with us, Lord. Thank you for the dealings of God in our lives. Thank you, Lord, you deal with us as sons. Thank you for your great mercy toward us, your patience, your kindness, your long-suffering. So, Lord, tonight as we spend these few moments waiting upon you, Lord, thank you, Lord, you deal with us tonight. Touch us afresh, your people, Lord. Lord, may there be interactions in this room individually between you and them. Lord, as people come, Lord, and open their hearts to you, do a work and a deep work. Oh, God, that we would see you afresh. Anoint our eyes that we would see. In Jesus' name.